Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. All right, how's everybody doing today? Well, I woke up a little grumpy because the government stole an hour of my sleep last night. I don't know about y'all, but uh, anyway, this is pastor's favorite Sunday when, uh, you know, it's time change and the beginning of spring break. Appreciate that. Whoever decided to put those together. But, um, you know, last week and, and uh, the weeks past, we've really had um, uh, record attendance. Our attendance has averaged almost 1,200 over the, um, the last month or two. And um, wanted you to know that we are praying about and looking at ways to um, permanently provide more space. And then we're also trying to find some ways to temporarily alleviate some of the congestion. And so you might have noticed there's some stanchions out there, and um, although we didn't need it today, we wanted to do it anyway to get started with it. But um, one of the things we're going to ask you to do when you come uh, to this service, you get here a little early, we're going to ask that people stay out in the main foyer and kind of leave this area clear so that we can get the services before you out and give you plenty of time to get in. And so um, that's kind of how we're going to try to do it moving forward. If you have suggestions, let us know. We're also working on our parking. We added um, 50 new spaces recently, and we may need to add some more, but we're um, working to make that where it's, it's not um, a hassle to find a spot. And, um, you know, one of the things we really just need is for y'all to, to help us. We realize there's going to be some inconveniences till we get it all kind of laid out, but we really want to make sure that you know, when, when people come here for their first time in particular as, their, as guests, that it's easy for them to, to get into the building and to be able to get into the sanctuary. And so we need your help to, um, to, to help us do that, to make people feel welcome and to make room for those that aren't here yet. And so uh, we appreciate that and appreciate your, um, your cooperation and your help with that. Um, we're continuing today in a second of our series called Who is God? And today we're going to talk about um, the, the, the aspect about God we probably love the most and then the one that we probably have the most trouble with, and that's love and judgment or judgment and wrath. And we're going to start with two scriptures, um, one in the Old Testament, one in the New. So the first one's going to be in Malachi chapter 4. And just in case you, you, know, you, you brought your Bibles, you can look. It's the one, last one in the, New Te- in the Old Testament before Matthew, before the New Testament. So go to Matthew, hang a left, and you'll be there. And then the second verse, if you want to put a finger there, will be 1 John 4, 7 through 8. And that really is one of the, the hardest things for us to come to grips with is how a God can be a judge and bring wrath down on people and yet also love. And so we're going to talk about how those things are intertwined, and uh, I hope it'll be a blessing to you, and I hope that um, uh, you know, it'll help us to understand and know God a little bit better. So let's begin in Malachi chapter 4. If you'd please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. The Lord of heaven's armies says, The day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. On the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And so now we're going to turn to 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8. 
Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, that's kind of hard to get our mind around, that the Bible in one place can talk about God coming and trampling the evil and the wicked underneath his feet. And he's talking about people. And then on the other hand, we see that God is love. So how do we find those, how do we define that and how do we get our mind around it? And one of the first things I, I want us to realize is that when, when God does something, it is all the way. You know, when God's wrath comes, it destroys everything in his path. You know, when God looked down on the earth in the days of Noah and decided that the earth was wicked and no one was seeking after God and Noah was the only one, he wiped out every person on the earth. And that's hard to reconcile with that verse that says God is love. But here's the thing, God's wrath finishes. It goes to the end. It destroys. But on the other hand, when God loves, he holds nothing back in his love. That he loves completely. He loves before we loved him back. He loves whether we love him back. And he doesn't hold anything back in his love for those who fear his name. So we're going to look at the two aspects of God's wrath, the fact that it totally destroys, and that that's part of the God of holiness. God is holy, he's righteous, and he's just. And so in Isaiah 13, 6 through 9, it's talking about the time when uh, wrath arrives, scream in terror, for the day of the Lord has arrived, the time for the Almighty to destroy. There will be a time for wrath, a time for destruction, and that will happen here on this earth. Every arm is paralyzed with fear. Every heart melts, and people are terrified. Pangs of anguish grip them like those of a woman in labor. They look helplessly at one another, their faces aflame with fear. For see, the day of the Lord is coming, the terrible day of his fury and fierce anger. The land will be made desolate, and all the sinners destroyed with it. And so that is part of who God is. God is judgment. And God brings judgment on those who refuse to obey or who are wicked. And the second thing that I want us to see is that that, is, that first passage is talking about what's going to happen to the land of Moab. And so the Bible talks about there will be judgment against nations. The nations will be judged. But every individual will be judged as well. And so there are people and then there are individuals. And all of us are going to be judged. Psalm 4, 1 through uh, 51, excuse me, 4 through 5. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. And that's sin. Every one of us have done evil in God's sight. Now, here's how we tend to look at it. We kind of think, when we think in terms of wrath, well, you know, if it's, if it's a sin that we struggle with, that we understand, that we can relate to, we're like, well, yeah, they need to be punished, but not too much. I mean, don't go overboard. Not, not any of us probably would be comfortable with taking somebody down to the city square like they used to do, putting them in stocks and leaving them there for days or whipping them. I mean, we'd be like, nah, that's too much. Now, there are certain sins where we, maybe we don't struggle with or that offend us more greatly. There are certain sins that offend me more than others. And I bet the same is true for you. And for those, I'd be like, do it. Put them in the stocks. Whip them a few more times. We're all about that. But here's what we need to understand is that the sin that we've kind of made peace with that we don't think is that big a deal because we committed it 
is that is as offensive to God as that sin that is most offensive to us is, and then some. You see, it's evil. When we choose to do things that are outside the word of God, when we choose to go against his word, when we choose to be sinful, we are committing evil. And we're a sinner. And you know what? We deserve judgment. I've done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. You know, that's one thing that is absolutely clear in the, in the Scripture. It says it over and over again. The first two chapters of Romans are devoted to it, that nobody's going to stand in front of God and go, hey, wait a minute. This isn't fair. You're not being just here because we're going to be proven to be sinful. You know, the sins of our mind, the sins of our heart, the sins of our body, the sins of our actions, those are all an offense to God. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. And here's the thing about sin. It says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I want you to see the two differences there, okay? One's talking about the wrath and judgment of God, and the other's talking about the love of God. The wrath and judgment of God is a wage. What is a wage? It is something that we earn. It's something that is due to us. You know, when, a, when a, somebody goes to court, and they're convicted of a crime, and they go before the judge, let's say it's a murder. Somebody's convicted of murder, and the, the jury came back, you know, unanimous. First-degree murder. And then they're marched in there, and the judge goes, well, you know, I see that you murdered somebody, but I also see that you contributed to this charity, and that, you know, you, you've been helpful here, and you helped this guy out, and you did. So, you know, overall, I mean, yeah, you murdered somebody, but you've done a lot of good things. And so I tell you what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you off the hook. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to just give you a sense of a day, which you've already served. Hey, you're, you're free to go. We would all be down there clamoring for him to resign. Because that's not what a good judge does. A good judge gives what they have earned. What the penalty for their actions is. And it's clearly defined in the law. And in the laws of God, it's clearly defined as well. That when you sin, you have earned something. It is due to you. And what is due to you? The wages of sin is death. Now, you're like, well, man, you should be put to death for it? In this instance, it's talking about more than just physically dying. It's talking about separation from God. To be separated from him forever. And you'll hear all kinds of jokes about, yeah, we're going to have parties in hell and blah, blah, blah. And Jesus gave us a glimpse into what hell looks like and to what it is. He talked about a rich man and Lazarus. And, you know, we don't know for sure, but most believe that this was talking about two actual people. And the reason is that when Jesus told parables, he didn't use names. He just talked about a certain man. or he, It was clear when he was talking about a parable. A parable is a, a story used to illustrate a point. But in this one, he named someone. He doesn't generally do that. 
Lazarus, it shows, dies is in heaven. The rich man dies is in, in hell. And we see both. The rich man who's in hell cries out to Abraham. And how he's able to talk to him, I don't know. I don't know all the details of that. But he cries out and says, would you just send Lazarus down there with just a, a, a touch of water on his finger to touch my tongue because I'm in agony. I mean, I get being thirsty. Hey, could you send a water bottle down here? You know, maybe with some Mountain Dew. I don't know, whatever. I get that. But he was in such agony. He said, if, if, they could, if he could just touch my tongue with a drop of water, it would be a relief to what I'm experiencing right now. Let's talk about that. It makes me thirsty. Anybody else? Y'all go ahead and get a drink. I see some of you like, yeah. You know, I got, got, brought you a little bottle of water. I understand. It, it's the absence. Hell is the absence of anything good. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes down from above. It comes from God. Every good thing that we experience in life, a cool breeze on our face, a moment of laughter, joy, appreciating the beauty of a sunset, the, the joy of friendship. All those things are gifts from God. And hell is the absence of all those things. There's no good thing in hell, period. It is nothing but torment and agony. And here's the deal. It's earned. We've earned that. I earned that. You earned that. Because the wages of sin, not just the ones that we think are serious sins, they're all serious sins in God's eyes. We earn Death and separation from God. But now what does he talk about as love? The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, wrath is earned. It's what we deserve. It's what we chose. But love, God gives freely. And there is no cost. So here's the deal. Here's where God's love. God created man. He knew man was, man was going to sin. He created us. He walked in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And then Adam and Eve sinned. And there was a separation between God and man. You want to know why there was a separation? Because God didn't want to give to Adam and Eve what they had deserved. He wanted to give them a chance. And so he held back his wrath. But he said, look. You can't, you can't be, we can't be right up next to each other because God is just. And when he is face to face with sin, his nature is to judge it in the moment. And so he says, you can't be in the garden anymore. We're going to have to be apart. But here's the deal. He didn't want to destroy us because he loves us. Even though Adam and Eve earned it. I mean, it, you want to talk about easy. The earth was perfect. They walked around. There were no stickers, no rocks. They, could, they walked around barefoot across the whole earth. They had access to anything they wanted. All God said was don't eat from that one tree. There were maybe hundreds of other trees they could eat from. All he said was don't eat from that one. But the reason that that tree was there was because God doesn't create robots. He doesn't force people to do his will. And he gave them a choice. 
Now, most of us would be like, man, if I could just go back to that one, I wouldn't eat from that tree. We think that. But now, because of the sin of Adam and Eve, we're born with a sin nature, and that's our bent, is to be disobedient to God. And when we are, we earn separation. But guess what? God loves, so he holds back his wrath. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. That's the second coming and then ultimately the judgment. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. You see, God doesn't want to destroy but it's something that we've earned. And the last time I checked, if you go and you work somewhere and they choose not to pay you legally, they're required to pay you. You can go to the court and the judge will say, yep, you got to pay them because it's, they're owed. And God doesn't want to bring down his wrath on people. He doesn't want to bring judgment down on people. But we, we earned it. And so he's being patient because he does not want anyone to perish. Now, understand something. That doesn't mean, sometimes people get so caught up in the love of God. And we talk about it like, hey, God loves you. And we want people to know that. But here's something that you need to understand. Because God loves you does not mean that he's going to hold his wrath back from you. He's not. Because that's something that you've earned, something that I've earned. But he's patient. But here's what he says in 2 Peter 2, 4 through 9. For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. There were angels that rebelled against God in heaven, and he cast them out of heaven. He threw them into hell, into gloomy pits of darkness, where they are being held until the day of judgment. And God did not spare the ancient world. You remember when he wiped the world out with a flood? Except for Noah and the seven others in his family. But here's the thing, even in that, even when God came to know and said, man, the earth, the, the people are sinful. None of them seek God. None of them do right. Except for knowing the seven others in his family, he spared the ancient world. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. God told, told them through Noah, either repent or judgment is coming. And there's, there's differences of opinion. It doesn't give us an exact amount about how long it took Noah to build the ark, but it was somewhere between 80 and 120 years to build the ark. And during that time, Noah was testifying to the world, repent, God's judgment is coming unless you change. So God, even then, even when there wasn't one righteous person, gave him opportunity year after year after year after year after year to repent and change. And they chose not to. So what did God give them? I mean, God's mean to wipe them out. God gave them what they earned. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. 
So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the final day of judgment. You know, there's an interesting part of that story about Sodom and Gomorrah. When God sent angels and they came and they met Abram and Sarah at the, at the time and told them that God was going to give them an heir. And Sarah laughed. And, the, and the, one of the angels said, why are you, why are you laughing? And she said, well, I didn't, I didn't laugh. Yes, you did. But after they told them, they were, they were leaving. And, and Abraham recognized that they were messengers from God. But after that was over and they were leaving at the last part of that story, they were headed off towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Bible says, and, and God was thinking to himself and shared through Scripture, should I tell Abraham about what I'm going to do? And he says, you know what? He's the child of the covenant. I'm going to tell him. So he comes down and he tells Abraham, you need to get your nephew Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah because I'm going to wipe them off the earth because they're, because they're wickedness. And Abram has this conversation that's really amazing. And so Abraham asked God, he said, well, God, you're a righteous judge. What if, what if there were a hundred righteous men there? Would you spare it then? Would you, if I could find a hundred righteous men, and God says, yeah, I'd spare it. And then Abraham asked him, well, what if there were 80 righteous men? Yeah, I'd spare it. And he keeps going and lowering the number. And God every time says, yes, I'd spare it, till he gets down to 10 or 20 people. God, would you spare it if there were this many righteous? God says, yeah, I'd, I'd spare the city. And you know what we get out of that? Because you're like, man, that's a strange conversation. I mean, I've always been so puzzled by it. Why, why, would, why is that in there? That's just odd. Because God knew who was in Sodom and Gomorrah. But God also wanted Abraham to know and wanted us to know through him that he doesn't want to destroy. And so he kept lowering the bar. If there's just this many, if there's just a handful of righteous people, I'll spare both these cities, but there weren't. There's another story that comes later when Moses comes and leaves the people as a messenger from God, and God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to release them from Egypt. And you know what? They had a hard time getting their mind around it because they'd been slaves their whole lives. And their, their parents before them had been slaves their whole lives. And their parents before them had been slaves their whole lives. And that's just what they thought life was. It didn't really even occur to him that they could be free, but God knew they could. And so he came to him and said, I'm going to set you free. And I'm going to take you to your own houses and your own farms and your own land. And it's flowing with milk and honey. And they're kind of like, sounds good. But they didn't really know what to make of it. And so God took, went through all these plagues to release them from Egypt. And when Pharaoh finally released them, God moved in the hearts of the Egyptians. He moved them, and they brought gold, silver, all their precious metals, and just gave it to the Israelites as they're walking out. So they're walking out free and rich. At the, I mean, can you imagine that? They're rich now. They're wealthy. And so they walk out, and God leads them down, and Pharaoh changes his mind and comes after them. God blocks them from getting to him. And then that night, 
He parts the sea. And they walk through on dry ground. And when they get to the other side, they turn around and they watch as the Egyptians are coming after them. God destroys them right in front of them. He leads them by a cloud during the day and by a pillar of fire at night so they can see the presence of God every day. He brings them water out of rocks in the desert where there's no water. He satisfies their thirst. He feeds them with manna from heaven that he rains down. It was easier than DoorDash, people. <laughs> All they did was go out, pick it up, and eat it. He fed them in the wilderness. And then when he got to, he took them to this mountain and where they were supposed to worship. And he says, hey, I'm going I'm to bring my presence down on this mountain so you can see. And so he does that. And then Moses goes up and he's giving him the Ten Commandments. And he's meeting with God face to face. And the Israelites who are, who are back now, they can see the presence of God on the mountain. And you know what they say? After a while, they come to Aaron they, and they say, hey, Aaron, you know, this Moses dude, we don't know what happened to him. We don't know if he's coming back or not. So we want to make our own God. We want to make a golden calf. You ever been around cows? Who in the world will make a god out of a cow? I don't even get that. But that's what they want to do. They want to make a, they made a golden calf. And they started dancing around and worshiping. And you know what? God talks to Moses. He said, hey, Moses, you better go back down there. I done had it. I'm done. Even after all these things. And I want to ask you a question. If you're just looking at this logically, would you not look at those people at that point and go, ain't going to be no change in these yahoos. These hanyaks are never going to get it. I mean, who wouldn't? I mean, if anybody deserved being wiped out, it was them. You get all that, God just hands you all that. And you're still like, man, I think we'd rather worship a cow. <laughs> all that. And so Moses, he, he's got a chance now. But man, there's something about being in the presence of God that changes you. Moses could have been the man. But he says, no, God, you don't want to do this. You don't want to do this. Let me go down there and deal with them, but, but be merciful. Don't bring your wrath down on them. And then he comes up with, you know, because people would think you did this or that, and God, when does he ever care about public opinion? I mean, it's a pretty weak argument in and of itself. But you know what God does? The Bible says he, he relented and he changed his mind. And you, want to you know why he changed his mind? Because he doesn't want to destroy. Even when we're in our most wicked, even when we're, when we're in our worst moments, he doesn't want to destroy us. But make no mistake, there are those that will try to tell you, well, you know, I, I just don't believe that a loving God could send anyone to hell. Well, here's the thing. God doesn't send people to hell. They choose to go there. Because God gave them a choice. You don't have to go to hell. God gave them a way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. 
but they rejected the way. Well, what about those in the Old Testament? They were saved just like we are. Abraham didn't even know the name of Jesus, but he believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness because he believed God. That's all we got to do is believe God. God doesn't want to destroy, but make no mistake, the same Jesus that came and bounced kids on his knee and said, man, let the little kids come to me. The same one who had compassion on a mom who'd lost her child and raised her child. The same one that, that healed the sick and fed the hungry, that loved people. Even when they hated him in return, he will come back one day to the earth. Now, there's a coming back for the church. That's when we meet him in the air. But then there's a time when he's coming back to this earth, and things are going to be different then. In Romans 19, 11 through 16, then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. For he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dripped in blood, and his title was Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. And that's Jesus too. And that's a Jesus that's coming back. And when he comes back, he's not coming with a message of love. He's coming with judgment and with wrath. Why? Because that's what people have earned. But the thing about God is that he loves without limits. I'll be honest, I got limits on my love. And I bet you do too. If all y'all, and I love y'all, if all y'all were, were over here and I had a choice, I could either save one of my children, you know, that he's over here, she's over there, or I could save all y'all. I hope y'all ready to meet Jesus. <laughs> and y'all do the same thing for me. If it's between y'all and my kid, I'm, taking, I'm picking my child 100 times out of 100, and you are too. Because I, I love y'all, but we got limits. But guess what? God doesn't have limits on his love. He loved us enough that he took that which was most precious and sacrificed him so that we could live. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For God made Christ who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. He didn't hold back. He's not going to hold back on wrath. It's going to be destructive. But he doesn't hold back on love either because he was willing to sacrifice his own son. Not only that, he didn't just sacrifice him. He made him to be sin for us. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so, and Jesus loved us enough to be willing to obey him. You see, God not only allowed man to beat him, to whip him, to spit on him, 
to make lies about him, to despise him, and to hang him on a cross. While he was hanging on that cross, God turned his back and visited his wrath that should have been mine. It should have been yours. On his son, whom he loved. He said that several times. This is my beloved in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved. So that we could be made right. And so here's the thing. You, you, we don't have the right to say, hey, I, I'm, I'm innocent. We don't have the right to say, I don't deserve wrath. And let me tell you what else we don't have the right to say. Well, I want to do it my way to get to heaven. No one gets that right. You see, God delivered up his beloved to suffer and to die a death that should have been mine and should have been yours so that we could be saved. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. There's no wrath. There's no judgment coming from God towards anyone who believes and trusts in Jesus. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. And so here, here's the simple thing. If you have a relationship with Christ, you, you're not under judgment. But if you don't, you are under judgment. And you're in that period of time where God is being patient with you because he doesn't want you to be destroyed. He wants you to have a relationship with him. He wants you to be free. He wants you to be forgiven. He wants you to escape from wrath and from judgment through a relationship with Jesus. But we all have to make that choice. And we have a limited amount of time to make it, that time that we're here on this earth. The stuff about, well, after you die, then you'll get another, that's myth. It's not biblical, and it's not true. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. So the world without Jesus has been judged. They're just waiting for the sentence to be carried out. It's not too late to be forgiven. But it's only one way, and that's through Jesus. It's simple how we're saved. Number one, you've got to admit to your sinner that you need salvation. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we've got to come, to come to God asking forgiveness of our sins and admitting we're a sinner. Number two, you've got to believe in Jesus. There are all kinds of religions, and let me tell you, 
I know there are people involved in them that are well-meaning, but the, the, what's behind those religions is Satan. You want to know why? Because Satan doesn't mind you being religious. He just doesn't want you to know Jesus. That's it. And so what does he do? He comes up with false religions that will do every. Oh, yeah, you'll be fine if you just do this. It's a lie. It's a deception. And it's a tool of the enemy to keep you from coming to faith in Christ. So you got to believe in Jesus, that he was God's son, that he died on the cross for your sins, and that he rose on the third day. See, the fact that he rose on the third day is what proves everything else he said is true. That is the most important event in human history is the resurrection of Jesus because it proves that God is who he says he is. And so you got to believe in Jesus. And then the third thing is you got to confess him as Lord. Romans 10, 9, and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's simple. Why is it simple? Because Jesus did the work for us. He did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so there's two responses to that. Either you know Jesus, I guess there's three. If you know Jesus, you're like, man, I'm excited. I want to remember that. I want to remember what, what wrath is. Not because I'm under it, but because if I forget how serious sin is, I'm too susceptible to allow it into my life. Here's the thing. If you don't know Christ, there are two responses. There's number one, yep, I believe. I'm going to trust Jesus today. I'm, I'm going to confess him as Lord. And then there's no. And understand something. Saying, well, I'm just not ready to do that, or, you know, I got to do this or do that, or maybe one of these days, that's the same thing as saying no, because you're going to walk in here under judgment, you're going to walk out the same way. I just want you to know that plainly. I'm not trying to push you into doing anything because that's between you and God, but I want you to clearly know what those responses are. And I'm going to tell you, if you think, well, I got to go fix some things first, you don't fix stuff and come to Jesus. You come to Jesus to be fixed. You come to him to be forgiven. You don't fix stuff first. There's an old hymn we used to sing, had 143 verses, just as I am. Some of y'all remember that? It didn't really have that many verses. They seemed like it. But every one of them was like, you come, just as I am, I come to you. Just as I am, I come to you. Just as I am. That's the only way to come to Christ. And so if you'd like to know today that your sins are forgiven, if you'd like to know that you're in right relationship with him, and if you'd like to know that that means forever that you're going to escape wrath through relationship with Christ and live with God the way God intended us to live with him, in fellowship for eternity. I want to invite you to pray a simple prayer of salvation with me. You can repeat it after me, pray it in your own words. Just pray it in your heart, God will hear you. But I want you to pray it with me now. So I'm going to ask everyone to bow your heads, close your eyes, and you pray this now. Dear God, thank you for loving me. And thank you for Jesus. God, I know I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart, my life. Cleanse me. I believe in Jesus. 
I believe he is your son. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe he rose on the third day. So today, I trust Jesus as my Savior. And I confess him as my Lord. Now, without anybody else looking around, if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, I'm, I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to say anything in front of people. Here's all I want to do because I want to pray for you and encourage you. If you prayed that prayer today, I want you to look up at me and keep looking until I see you. Okay? All right? Okay. I see you. what I want to encourage you to do. It's important you tell someone. If you came here with your mom or your dad or an adult, I want you to tell them as soon as the service is over, hey, I prayed that prayer with Pastor Brian. And then parents, I'd encourage you to get in touch with one of our children's ministers, youth ministers, and we'd love to sit down with them and make go through their decision and make sure they understand everything. And we'd love to do that. Everyone else, we'd love to hear from you. There's a, a number on our screen. You can just text SAVE to that number, or you can open it up with that QR code right there. It's also in your bulletin. And let us know that you prayed that prayer. We'd love to pray for you, and we'll contact you and see if there's a time we can get together either by phone or in person and answer any questions you have and talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus. We don't want to bug you. We're not going to. We're not going to ask you for anything. We just want to encourage you. And it is important that you tell someone. If you'd rather do it today, we got people that'd love to talk to you today. In a few moments, Pastor John will be up here and dismiss us in a word of prayer. And you can come to him right after the service is over. And he'll either set up a time with you or he'll find somebody to talk to you today. And we got people standing by that would love to do that. So I want to pray for you and encourage you that the moment you prayed that prayer in faith, in that moment, your sins were forgiven and you are no longer under judgment, but a part of the family of God as a son or a daughter, and you will be for all eternity. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for those that made a decision to trust you today. Father, I pray for blessings in their lives. I pray you'd send other believers to them, Lord, to encourage them. I pray they would find the right church home, whether it's here or somewhere else, so they could grow and hear the Word of God. And Father, we thank you for allowing us to be a part of their spiritual journey. For those of us who are believers, may we never forget the cost that you paid so that we could be free of our sins and of the penalties of those sins. Thank you, God, for loving us that much. We pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.